always love hearing the people of God sing. I'm reminded that we don't simply sing vertically to God, but also horizontally to one another. And so I know I was deeply encouraged to hear God's people sing together. And so let me introduce uh, our speaker this morning, not a stranger I know to many of you, but uh, Jameis Edwards is a Trigg County native, but currently pastor of Pleasant Valley Community Church uh, in Owensboro, so my old uh, stomping grounds, right? Uh, Jameis has been serving there at Pleasant Valley for a good, a good long time, over a decade, right, Jameis? Almost 15 years, there we go. And I remember actually, funny enough, in high school going to hear Jameis preach at many events, and so being shaped by him as a mentor and as a friend, Jameis, in addition uh, to serving at, at Pleasant Valley, I know teaches uh, part-time at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary as his PhD uh, from there, and so I'm excited to have Jameis come here and to preach uh, God's word to us. So I'm going to pray real fast for Jameis as he comes, and we're excited to give him all, give ultimately the word through him all of our attentions. Let's pray one more time together. Father, we come with humble hearts, ready to hear your word, ready to receive all that you would say to us as from you. Lord, ultimately, I know, I know we would both long to say, get, get the us out of the way, and may we hear directly from you uh, for our good and your glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Well, I heard about this old fellow that was driving home from work one day, listening to the radio preacher. And uh, the radio preacher said, fellas, I tell you what, if you really want to win some brownie points with your wife, which most of you need to, here's what you do. He said, you go by the Kroger, you get her some roses, you go home, walk right through the door, you sweep her right up off her feet, kiss her right square on the mouth and say, honey, I love you more than anything in this world. He said, boys, if you'll do that, I promise you won't regret it. Well, this old boy kind of been struggling in his marriage. He'd been sleeping in the doghouse a few nights, if you know what I mean. He said, I should probably try that, spice things up a little bit. So he goes, sure enough, by the Kroger, gets some flowers, goes home, walks through the door, sweeps his wife right up off her feet, kisses her right square on the mouth. Honey, I love you more than anything in this world. And she broke down and cried like you'd never heard a woman cry before. And he said, what's wrong? She said, you don't understand. This has been the worst day of my life. He said, honey, tell me what happened. She said, well, my alarm didn't go off. So I was late to work. I get there, and my boss chews me out. And then she said, I spilled coffee on my brand-new white blouse from the TJ Maxx. And then, she said, my com- and then she said, my computer crashed, and I lost this project I've been working on for eight months. And then she said, I'm rushing home after work, try to cook you dinner, so I'm speeding, and I get a speeding ticket on the bypass. She said, here I am. The house is a wreck. The kids are crazy. The cornbread's burning, and now you've done come home drunk. So when, when Lance Stallings told me that, I said, brother, we're, we're praying for you. And uh, <laughs> he's my cousin, so I can get away with saying that. Yeah, you know, that's not true. It really is such a joy to be here in all seriousness. I've been looking forward to this for a long time, ever since Matt gave me the very gracious invitation. You know, I love country music, and one of the things I love about country music is they always find a way to sing about your hometown. And in some sense, you can't wait to leave your hometown, but then you get a little older and wiser, and you can't wait to get back. And that has always been true about Katie's for me. This is the place that shaped me. This little community 
um, is the place where I was born and raised and saved and called to preach and all of it. This is the community where um, Ralph Stevens in Royal Ambassadors at East Katie's Baptist Church used to make me do push-ups every Wednesday night. Every time I missed a Bible trivia question, uh, this is the place that prepared me to be a Baptist preacher uh, by all the potlucks and uh, uh, fried chicken dinners that we had. But this is also a place where you're, you just learn what, a, what it means to be a young man. This is a place I look back at with deep gratitude, not only for the incredible family that I have, many of them are here today, but also the friends, but also I think about men like Coach Mike Wright, who's here today, and, and Ben Bruce and others who, you know, looking back now and reflecting on life, uh, who, who did not scream at their players and who did not demean us and curse us and, and never had alcohol on their breath, but who treated their players with dignity and respect. And there's just little things like that that you realize you take for granted sometimes in a small town. This is a great place to live, but it's a great place to be, and I'm honored to be here. And I'm very thankful for, for Pastor Matt. Uh, for the very gracious invitation today. I love this guy. I knew that when you all called him to be your pastor, to use John Calipari's language, you got a five-star recruit. This, this guy is the real deal. He is solid as they come. And uh, by the way, he told me he'd give me a gift card to the Cracker Barrel if I said all that. But, uh, uh, but in all seriousness, I know you have and will take care of him. I, I got to pick on him a little bit, so I'm kind of a prankster. And so... Um, of course, service starts at 10 a.m., and I knew that. So I was about 15 minutes out of Katie's coming off the bypass, and uh, I texted Matt. And I said, hey, the service starts at 11 a.m., right? I said, I, I just left Owensboro, so I should be good. <laughs> <laughs> and he sends me this text, and you could just tell he was in panic mode. <laughs> he, he said, James, the service is at, is at 10 o'clock. He was like, please let me know if you're not going to be here at 10 o'clock. And I responded in the text, and I'm just dying on this. I said, oh, man, I said, I'm just used to preaching at East Katie's, and they always start at 11. And then he's, and he just responded, call me, period. <laughs> <laughs> and I could tell his blood pressure, and I, and I was just really enjoying and delighting in that for him. And I was going to just not respond. Uh, just give him the, just totally a, a, a avoid him and walk in at the last minute. But I just didn't have the heart to do that. So I called him and said, punked you, got you, man, and uh, he, he's been a good sport. But uh, so turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans chapter 8, we'll hop in in just a minute. So there's a, a, a theologian and an author named A.W. Tozer that if you've not read him, you should. And uh, he said these words. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so I want to ask you this morning, what do you think about when you think about God? Maybe for some of you, you want to close your eyes just for a moment. What, what do you see? What, do you, what comes to your mind when you think about God? Is he happy or is he sad? Is he smiling or is he scowling? Does God seem to be delighted or is he angry and perpetually frustrated? When you think about God, does he seem to be leaning close, engaged, looking at you with great love? Or is he distracted and so far away and has bigger fish to fry than you? What do you think about when you think about God? Because what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Well, today in Romans 8, Paul tries to help shape the way that we think about God. So in the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, we see God as holy, righteous, just, 
judge whom we should rightly fear because of our sin. Now, picking up halfway through Romans chapter 8, Paul wants us to see God from a different angle. He wants us to see God as a father. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. The Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God, that is all Christians, those who have placed their faith in Jesus, we are the sons of God. Now, just stop right there for a moment. This isn't the main point of the sermon. This is just a little extra I want to throw in. Um, Many Christians have an identity crisis. And for many of us, when we think about who we are, and you'll catch it in the way you talk about yourself. Well, I'm just an old, dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace. Amen. And we kind of think about ourselves in this kind of contempt. An old, dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace that God just kind of tolerates because he has to. Friends, if you think about yourself as merely an old, dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace, you don't think about yourself the way God thinks about you. Because the Bible says that if you're in Christ, you are a son of God. That means the blood of Jesus has washed away every sin. You've been adopted into the family of God. You've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So you're not simply an old, dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace. You are a son of God, joint heirs with Christ. Meaning, God sees you the way he sees Christ. And as surely as God is pleased with Christ, he is pleased with you because you're in Christ. You are a son of God in Christ. you got to learn to think about yourself that way. If you walk around thinking it's like you're the biggest piece of work on planet Earth, I'm just an old, dirty, rotten sinner, then you will live that way. But if you see yourself the way God sees you in Christ, you will then live like who you already are, righteous in Jesus. So all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's family language. Then he says in verse 15, For you did not receive, Christians, the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Now let's just stop right there. This isn't the main point I want to drive home, but I just want to comment on it. The fear of what? You didn't receive the spirit of slavery, Christians, to fall back into fear. From the context, I take that to mean the fear that we will not be accepted by God because of our sin. The fear that because I'm so sinful and God's so holy... Really, he can't actually love me, could he? So this fear that because we still fall short, this fear that because we all got skeletons in our closet, this fear because we've all said and done or thought things that we know are so incredibly sinful. Maybe sometimes deep down inside we go through the motions, we go to church, but we have this fear. What if I get before the throne one day in judgment? And what if really God won't accept me? You messed up too much. You still have these sins, even as a believer, you just still can't overcome. Man, you're 55 and you've been married for 30 years and you still battle lust. Now, to be clear, Outside of Jesus, if you're not in Christ, we should stand in fear of God. He is a holy God. Jesus is not our homeboy. 
God is not some old man in a rocking chair just passing out tickets to heaven in his PJs trying to stay awake on the job. He is holy. And our sin has separated us from God. And outside of Christ, the wrath of God is hanging over us. But that's why Jesus came. Jesus came precisely so he could save sinners. Jesus didn't come for good religious people who have it all together. Because there aren't any like that. Jesus came not for the healthy but for the sick. Not for the righteous but for the sinner. So if you just can't quite get it together. If you still find yourself battling the same old sins from when you were in youth group 30 years ago. Then you're just the right kind of person Jesus came for. Jesus on the cross absorbed the wrath of God. Paid for every sin. Now, in Christ, we get to be the sons of God, which means, and I have to say this in the Bible Belt, because two out of three surveyed professing Christians believe that their good works have at least something to do with them going to heaven when they die. And if you've read the Bible at all, that is a major dilemma, because the Scripture says there is none that is righteous, not even one. There is only one truly, actually good man ever to live, and his name is Jesus Friends, we are sinners who stand in desperate need of a Savior. So listen, but that's the good news, actually. The good news is you don't have to be good enough to get into heaven. Jesus was. So our hope for heaven is not simply not drinking, smoking, chewing, and hanging out with girls who do. Our hope for heaven is not living a a good, clean, pure, moral life. Because who can be good enough? Our hope for heaven is not in the life we live, but it's in the death and resurrection of another man whose name is Jesus. Which means all the pressure is off. You don't make God love you by being a good person. God loves us in spite of us because Christ died for every sin. So my youngest son, Cruz, is an avid 90s country music fan. He's 10. I cut my teeth on 90s country music, Chattahoochee and all that. And uh, my son, like me, loves it. And so a few weeks ago, I took him to see Alabama down at Bridgestone in Nashville. And the place was packed, and nobody was wearing a mask, and it was awesome. And he just sang his little heart out. And, uh, and he, uh, but, but Martina McBride opened up for Alabama. And so I used to love her, too. And uh, I actually saw her at the Freedom Fest in Murray, Kentucky, uh, there back in, like, 1998. But she still got it, by the way. That girl can still sing. But she has this song, if you remember, um, called Safe in the Arms of Love. And, and yet, in verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Friends, Jesus did not die for you so you could live your whole Christian life afraid that you may not get in. Jesus died for every sin, said, It is finished. There's nothing left for you to do. What are you going to do to earn God's favor now that Jesus has already done everything? So you can lay your head down tonight and sleep well because you are safe in the arms of Jesus. Now back to verse 15. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But, so here's the alternative to a fear-driven life. But you have received the Spirit, that should be a capital S in your Bible, that's the Holy Spirit of adoption, again that's family language, as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So a Spirit-led prayer is a prayer 
that sees God as Father. Not merely as some distant, oblivious deity who's too busy for us, who's disconnected from creation, but a spirit-led prayer sees God as Father. For some of you in this room, and I deal with this too, when you think about God, you see him as an angry, scowling stepfather, always just about to take out his belt and wear you out. It's difficult for some of you to imagine God actually being happy with you because you know how sinful you are. And you go to church and do all that, but you know what your thought life is. You know the bitterness and anger in your heart. You know how at times you're so frustrated with your spouse, you're so frustrated with your kids, and maybe even feel like you have hate in your heart sometimes. And you know that about yourself, and you know God knows that about you. So it's hard for you to imagine how God could actually be happy with you. Friends, if you can only envision an angry God, you, you, you can't envision the God of the Bible. So I think some of us are only catching a partial glimpse of God. Now, we rightly stand in awe of God's glory. We are amazed by God's grace. We rightly tremble at his holiness and his justice, and we should. Again, he's not our homeboy. He is Lord and God. But some of us are, are not able to see God for his tenderness. We've not felt his gentleness. We see God as a hand raised, ready to pop us, not as a gentle father inviting us in. Do you see the difference? Some of us know, believe fully in hell and, and, and know for sure that those outside of Christ will, will perish forever, but, but we've not ever been comforted by the warmth of God. We've not really embraced God's approachability. So we're able to see God, some of us, as creator and judge and righteous king. But many of us don't view him nearly enough as a father. Friends, if we can't see God as a father, we can't see God. J.I. Packer, another great theologian and author you should read, his classic book is called Knowing God. And here's what he says. He says, and I quote, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. When was the last time you thought about God as your father? Now go back to verse 15. Let's look at it again. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry. So that's a prayer. Abba. Father. Now this verse it's just easy to skip right over. It is shocking in many ways. Because did you know that during Jesus' day, the names of God were often withheld from public speech altogether. In other words, people knew that God was so holy and so transcendent that they knew they were unworthy to utter His sacred name with sinful lips. And so they wouldn't write the name of God. They wouldn't even speak the name of God in public. So, knowing that, for a Jewish person to have read Romans 8, 15, where Paul says, God is your Abba. He's your Father. The Jewish person would have lost their minds. They wouldn't say God's name at all, much less referring to Him as something so intimate and personal as Father. 
It seemed irreverent, disrespectful. God's not your father. He's your judge. He'll kill you. But Jesus came along and he changes all of that. Jesus comes along and all throughout the New Testament, what did he do? He called God his what? His father. 165 times over and over again. Father. In fact, when he taught us to pray, what did he say? Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In fact, in John 5, 18, did you know one of the key reasons the Jews wanted to kill Jesus? It's precisely because he called God his father. So, Jesus invites us, as does Paul, to call God our father. Which means Jesus invites us to pray like he prayed. Which means Jesus is inviting us into the same kind of communion with God that he himself had. Now just think about that for a moment. It is mind-blowing. Jesus Christ and God the Father have been one in perfect unison from before the foundation of the world. The only perfect love relationship ever. And now in Christ, because we are the sons of God, joint heirs with Jesus... We have the same access to God the Father that Jesus has. Which means we get the same kind of communion with the Father that Jesus has. It is the will of God that we experience the same kind of intimacy with the Father that Jesus experiences with the Father. This is what God wants for us. Listen, there is a difference in knowing about God and knowing Him. We're from Katie's, Kentucky. We know all the Sunday school answers. I know you know about him. You probably know the Ten Commandments. You probably know most of the books of the Bible. You know God's a trinity and all that. But I know you know about him. But do you know him? You see, because the blood of Jesus purchased for us, not merely an intellectual knowledge of God, but the opportunity for a personal, intimate Father-son, father-daughter-like relationship with him. So that this father knows every detail about our life. He has numbered the hairs on our head. He is tender. He is warm. He is approachable. He's not aloof. He's never taking a nap when you need him. And he's crazy about his kids. Now, that statement for some of us feels irreverent. Friends, I want to make a bold statement. If you can't embrace the fact that God the Father is crazy about you if you're his kid, then you're not ultimately being shaped by the scriptures. So, Flo Miller, I think we got a picture of her up here maybe. Yeah, there she is. So Miss Flo passed away a few years back, but she was the oldest member of our church there in Owensboro. She was uh, 95 years old uh, when she passed. And let me tell you, that is a spunky little woman right there. She came in right around four foot eight, maybe 87 pounds, sopping wet. And I'll never forget my first Sunday at, at Owensboro at the church. Um, she's back there brewing the coffee and serving the donuts and passing out bullets. And she came up to me. And I mean, she came up to like my belly button. And so it's kind of that awkward hug, you know, and you're bringing her in. And she says, preacher, she pulled me aside. She said, preacher, she said, I know this preaching gig can be kind of tough. She said, I want you to know if you're ever having a rough day and kind of stressed out, I got plenty of that marijuana. <laughs> and I, 
I mean, I'm 24 years old, just met the woman. It's clear she's like the matriarch of the church. And I said, well, Miss Flo, that, this, that, hey, that's, thank you. I, I mean, what are you going to say? Because I, and I'm kind of like trying to cut a joke with her, and she says, no, really. And she winks at me and walks off and goes back and starts brewing more coffee. And I went over, and I pulled somebody. I said, I said she, just, she just told me she could get me marijuana. And they said, I don't think she's joking. So she's, another time I preached a long-winded sermon one day, uh, which is very common for me. Matt told me I had an hour and a half today, so I figured I got about an hour still. But she said, preacher, if you go over again, she said, I'm going to bend you over my leg and spank your booty. And uh, this is the kind of woman she is. She was amazing. She's with the Lord now. Um, uh, I, I hope her and the Lord work through that marijuana issue. Uh, I love the fact that she called it marijuana. It's my favorite thing about it. But uh, so at her funeral, though, at our church, all that to say, she had an 87-year-old brother. He was the uh, superintendent. Uh, at Warren County Schools for years, great godly man, but uh, you could tell his mind was starting to slip. He was in the early stages of dementia, but he loved his little sister, and so he approached me um, multiple times throughout the funeral, before and after, and he kept coming up saying, preacher, he said, let me tell you about my family. He did it in the worship center right by the casket as soon as the service was over. Then we went out in the fellowship hall for the meal. And while we were in line, he came up. Let me tell you about my family. And then after we sat down, he sits by me again. Same exact conversation. Took about 20 minutes each time. And each time, let me tell you about my family. And here's what he did. He, he listed to me the name of every child and every grandchild. And he had a lot of them. And he told me their complete resumes. My, you know, my grandson, Junior, he graduated from Western, uh, and, you know, and now he's uh, an accountant in Nashville. And, you know, and he would tell me all these things. I mean, every single child and grandchild, and he did the whole thing with a tear in his eye. He was so proud about his family. I mean, I knew their GPA. I knew his teenage daughter. Uh, I knew what acne medicine she used. I mean, how much money they made. I mean, all of it. He was so proud. You know, and so obviously I was respectful and honorable. He, he didn't realize he kept repeating the same story. But uh, he was so wildly in love with his kids. He was crazy about them. He just wanted to brag on his kids. He was a really good father. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a heavenly father who is crazy about his kids. He delights in his children. Did you know that the book of Zephaniah says that God sings over his children? Did you know that God is so deeply satisfied in you that he sings in delight over you? He knows every detail about your life. He cares about your marriage. He cares about your kids. He cares about that doctor's appointment you got coming up next week and you're anxious about the results. He cares about the anxiety and the depression that you got to cover up because in the church you're supposed to always be happy. He cares about the diabetes. He cares about... All the things going on. That rebellious child. He cares about that. He's the world's best father. And because he's the world's best father, he wants to hear from his kids. Meaning, he wants us to pray. Now, those of you that are parents or grandparents, is there anything in the world that makes you happier once the kids move off than when they call you or swing by to see you? So, of course, I'm in Owensboro. Mom lives here. I try to FaceTime her every morning on the way to school or work. Miss some days, but we try to. And, you know, you got, most of you know my mom. I mean, to, to FaceTime her, you might as well give her $10 million. 
just for her to have one of her children or her grandchildren call her, it's, it's the greatest gift you, you could ever give. Friends, how much more does our Heavenly Father long to hear from His kids? So when we don't pray, I don't know how angry God gets. I just wonder if He's sad. Because He's a Father. Now, when life is hard, and it almost always is, we have to view our Heavenly Father as a safe place of refuge and help in our time of need. Now, this is what Paul really is getting at in Romans 8. Again, we don't have time to go through the whole context, but the context of Romans 8, it's one of suffering in hard times. And Paul's going to say, when you're struggling, when you're in crisis, anxious, depressed, family drama, sick, that's when you go to God as your father. Look what he says in verse 15. I want you to look at one little word there in verse 15. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry. Look at that word, cry. Notice he doesn't say by whom you pray, though it is a prayer. He says by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So it's not a little whisper. It's not, oh, Father, would you help me? It's, it's a cry. It's, it's what Russ Moore called a cosmic scream. It's, it's desperation. It's in those moments when we're weak and struggling and tempted and in despair. Paul says when we experience difficulty or suffering, our first instinct, like a child, should be to cry out to our Father. So, three kids, uh, they're 13, 12, and 10 now. And um, that's an, actually a pretty old picture. Uh, but anyway, uh, we, our old house, we had this pretty big hill. Not quite as steep and dangerous as swimming pool hill, but kind of like that. All right, so envision that. So at that time, we had a five-year-old, like a seven and an eight, and they wanted to ride their bikes down that hill. So mom would never let them do it, of course, because it was dangerous. So when Annie was gone, that's when we would go do it, and uh, as every good dad would do. And so one night, we're out riding up and down that hill, and they'd done it several times. And you're just praying the whole time they don't wreck, because it's one of those hills. I mean, imagine wrecking, going out to swim a pool. If you, if you wreck, it's, it's going to be a bad situation, and daddy's going to be in the doghouse. So uh, they're doing pretty good, and they're ready to go home, um, or I am, I should say, but my little boy crew said, Daddy, one more time. And you know how it is, each time you, you, you land a big hill, you get a little more confident each time. And you're going a little bit faster, so no, no training wheels or anything. So this last time, all right, Cruz, one last time. And he's our most uh, athletic, he's our most eager, aggressive kid who doesn't always use uh, good judgment. And uh, <laughs> I say that very respectfully. And so, man, he is getting it down that hill as fast as that little huffy bicycle will go. And you know where the story's going. He gets about halfway down that hill on that bicycle that I paid like $27 for at a yard sale. Uh, starts, starts wobbling, and man, next thing you know, he just bites it, and he skids right across that pavement. I mean, it's just awful. And uh, I'm about 20 yards away, and uh, Cruz shoots up. He's five at the time. Shoots up, screaming. He's got, you can see blood on his little arms and on his knees. And uh, he, he's running towards me, and he's screaming. Daddy, Daddy, with, with all the tears, right? It was his first instinct. He, he didn't get up to check to see if, if the bike uh, had any issues. He, 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 didn't, he didn't see how many boo-boos he had. He, it was, it, he didn't even have to think about it. His instinct was, Daddy, Daddy, running towards me with, with the biggest tears in the world. And Romans 8 says, our instinct should be the same with our Father in heaven. 
when you're anxious, scared, depressed, struggling, it's, you cry in verse 15. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. You go back to when you were four years old and the boogeyman's coming and you're scared and you scream out for dad. That's how you pray. Drop, Jesus has very little tolerance for highly sophisticated prayers. Jesus isn't impressed by long. In fact, he actually scolded people who, who wanted to do big, long, elaborate prayers in public. He said, oh, God, pray like a kid. Pray like a desperate seven-year-old that's afraid of the dark. That's how you pray, right? So here's, look at that word Abba in verse 15. Um, it, here's what Paul's getting at. We don't use that word Abba in the English language, do we? God isn't just our father in the general sense. It's more intimate than that, actually. We learned from the early church fathers that the term Abba was the Aramaic name that small children used for their fathers, which is a fancy way of saying this. Abba was the first word of a child in that culture. So for our kids, first word is what? Usually mama, maybe dada, right? Well, Abba was just that, Abba. For us, it would be dada, papa. In short, when you see the word Abba in verse 15, it carries the idea of daddy. So when Cruz had that bike wreck, you know, he didn't scream out, Father, Father, there's been a mechanical failure on my Huffy bicycle, and I need to inquire of your assistance. That's not how, that's not how you... No, he, he said, Daddy! Daddy! Do you see the difference? Friends, don't approach God like you're going to seminary or like you're approaching some dignitary. Approach your father like you're a kid with bloody knees. And you're scared to death. And he's daddy. This is how God wants us to pray. He says whether you're 16 years old or 35 or 55 or 95, God says I'll always be your papa. You know, the most spiritually mature thing we can do is just to take upon the posture of a three-year-old. This, I mean, Jesus said radical things like the kingdom of God belongs to those that are like, what, kids? You know, there's something uh, deeply comforting about being able to go to your father anytime. Anytime. Our heavenly Father never sleeps. He's never on vacation. He's never out of reach. And I'll close with this. Uh, so to some, he was Mr. Edwards. To some, he was Jim. To my mom, when he was in the doghouse, he was James Watt. <laughs> what a great middle name, by the way, Watt. You don't hear that very often. But to myself and my three older sisters, he was Dad. And, of course, that's a picture I took of Dad at, at uh, Rupp Arena. Um, which is almost heaven, but not quite. Uh, not that long before he died. So many of you know that my dad passed away several years ago, uh, untimely and unexpected to us. So one of the things, though, that I loved about my, about my dad so much was just his voice. 
So I remember after high school, uh, move off to college, we get married, Annie and I moved to Louisville, and then uh, we eventually landed in Owensboro in 2006. But so most of my communication with my dad after I grew up, as it were, unfortunately was on the phone, right? We were both busy and I didn't get to get home as much as I liked and things like that. So, but we talked on the phone a good amount. And I just remember um, early on in our marriage and ministry, if we were struggling, and we did a lot, uh, or if things were just stressful at church, and I was overwhelmed, I just would instinctively call dad. I didn't, like, process out. You know, I really ought to call dad. It was just like driving down the road, stressed out. You know what? Calling dad. You know what I mean? You just kind of naturally did that. Um, and, And my dad and my relationship, it wasn't one of those where I would, like, unload on him. He wasn't, like, my counselor. We didn't, like, go into all the deep things necessarily. It wasn't so much that. It was just like the little kid in me would come out again, and I just wanted to hear his voice. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about with your father. And so just talking for him for a few minutes about the family or UK basketball, it it just kind of cheered me up because I think it took me back to when I was a little boy and I was afraid of the storm or the boogeyman, right? And just hearing dad's voice would has a way of comforting a child. Because I knew he was strong, right? And he wouldn't let anything happen to me. If daddy was there, we'll be okay. And many of you can relate to that. Well, it was probably a month or so after dad died. And I was just really struggling one day with sadness and grief. And I just wanted to hear his voice. I knew if I could just hear his gentle, warm voice, I would feel better. And so I called his old cell phone number. 270-339-3217. I didn't know if mom had canceled the number yet with AT&T or not. But I thought um, if she hadn't yet canceled it, I could just hear his voicemail greeting. And that that voicemail greeting would bring me comfort. And so I called his number and it, and it rang a few times. And unexpectedly, somebody answered the phone and said hello. And it was a man's voice and it sounded just like my dad. And so I'm kind of freaking out at this point. Uh, I'm like, AT&T is incredible. <laughs> Their towers reach all the way to heaven. And, uh, well, of course, it turns out mom had already canceled the number. And uh, AT&T had already reassigned my dad's number to another man who just so happened to sound just like him. Uh, and so I, it was so awkward. And the poor guy, I cried a little on the phone and just hung up on him with no explanation. And he probably had no idea what that was all about. But, you know, I, I just wanted to hear my dad's comforting voice one more time. And I knew it would all be okay. And we have a father in heaven whose voice is so gentle and so tender. And you can call upon him anytime, day or night. Rich or poor, happy or sad, young or old. He's he's always leaning forward, ready for his kids to call. And for some of us this morning, it's just been way too long since we've crawled up in our father's lap. So maybe this morning you're lonely, maybe you're depressed, you're anxious, maybe it's your finances. Maybe you're grieving the loss of a loved one. Maybe you're doubting your salvation. Maybe you've got a child or a grandchild that's wandered far from the Lord and you go to bed every night worried to death about them. Whatever it is, you have a Father in Heaven who's attuned and aware and keenly zoned in on you to the point that He's numbered the hairs on your head. And He just wants you to come to Him in prayer. He just wants you to get little again. 
and to remember that no matter what happens in life, no matter how many gray hairs you get, he'll always be your papa. I reminded of that old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Many of us grew up on it. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to our Father in prayer. Let's pray. Father, Abba, we come before you in the name above every name, the name of Jesus. And Father, we confess to you this morning that we are weak and we are frail. And Lord, we fall short and we get anxious. Lord, our faith struggles. Lord, a lot of times we feel like hypocrites. And Father, we're just, we're weak children. Lord, we behave like children so often. And yet, Father, we, we come before you this morning in humility, saying that we need you. Father, would you receive us like kids? Father, would you help us to swallow the pride? But Father, to humble ourselves and to approach you, not because we're worthy, but because Jesus Christ has died in our place and paved the way. Father, we come into your arms because Jesus Christ has made us able through his righteousness and his blood. So Lord, we come confident to you Because of Jesus, we boldly cry, Abba, Father. Father, thank you that through Jesus you have adopted us into your family. Teach us to pray, Lord. Oh, Father, help us to get little again. Father, help us to be desperate. Help us to cry in our prayers, Abba, Father. Lord, there are some folks here this morning that you're not their father. They've not been adopted into your family. Father, your wrath is hanging over them. And they will face your judgment. You're not inclined to hear their prayers. But Father, for those, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would so speak to their heart and convict their heart. Father, show them that they need Christ that they cannot be good enough to go to heaven. Or that going to church once a month is not going to cut it. That throwing a 20 in the plate today out of guilt is not going to get them into heaven. Father, they need forgiveness. They need a Savior. They need Christ. They're sinners and they're separated from you. And their sin will destroy them. Oh, God, save them. Lord Jesus Christ, open up their eyes and Show them their desperate need of forgiveness. And may they surrender to Christ and turn from their sin. And would you receive them into your family that they now too could see you as father. And they wouldn't have to stand in fear of you anymore. Wondering if they've been good enough to get into heaven. But they could go to sleep tonight knowing they are safe in the arms of Jesus. 
Oh God, save people even now that are far from you. And Lord, as we sing this final song, would you hear our song as praise to our Father? And we pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. all stand and respond to God. I love that. Let's get little again. I love that.
good, amen. We do have a, a good father who rules and reigns over everything. Just a couple quick things before we close with our benediction. Again, thank you all for being here. If you're new to Crossroads, I'd love to connect with you or, or anyone here would love uh, to connect with you uh, today uh, as well. So again, thank you all uh, for being here. We're also thankful again for those that served uh, this weekend and thank you also for you all who regularly give here again a reminder baskets are at the back and we have our online giving available as well but i'll close our service with a blessing from our heavenly father uh, a blessing from romans chapter 15 a benediction for the road may the god of hope fill you with all peace with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the holy spirit you may abound 